Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti, along with T. Frank Carr. Exciting show for today, T. Frank, because we're starting our positional review, and I can't wait to hear from you on that. But before we get there, we got to start with the news of the week, and that's the fact that Penn State has a new defensive line coach, Dion Barnes. Your thoughts? So, uh, of, of course, it happens Monday night before uh, training camp starts. Spring practice is here, so... Uh, exciting time for everybody who loves college football, for people who love Penn State football, and honestly, people who cover Penn State football because we have new things to talk about, like Deion Barnes being named uh, the defensive line coach. You can you can name a guy on the eve of practice if he's already on your staff. And uh, just from everything I've heard, everything I've seen, everyone I've talked to, this is a unanimous uh this is a unanimous approval from players, former uh, teammates, former coaches, current coaches. Everyone, everyone loves Dion Barnes. Everyone thinks that he deserved this job, and to get it here um, at his alma mater, I think is is it's a special story. It's the story that every Penn State fan is writing to us about when they say, "Hey, uh, what about Tom Bahali? Why can't he be the defensive line coach?" It's well, he wasn't a coach. Like he has not been a coach to my knowledge. Now you have a former player who is a coach and was a coach at your staff that, uh, you know, I don't want to say raised, but like you helped shape his view of what uh, what he's supposed to be as a defensive line coach. Excellent recruiter already, um, you know, has gotten a lot of praise for the work he's done over the last three years. And uh, it was a win to retain him on the staff earlier this year as an analyst. And now to have an in-house candidate take the job uh, you know i think you got to feel pretty good about that if you're penn state and for penn state fans maybe it's not the big sexy name that a lot of people wanted but this is a guy that i think has upward trajectory and growth potential as a as a coach that we've already seen he's demonstrated now it's just about he's he's skipping a couple steps right so he's skipping going and working at a lower level as the position coach he's going directly into the main event as a power 5 high power five defensive line coach. So there is a little bit of prove it here, but uh, according to James Franklin and everything you saw on social media Monday and Tuesday, he's proven it to them already. Now he just needs to go out and do it full time. I think T Frank, the Penn state fans like it. It's a familiar name. It's one of our own, that type of thing. What I wonder though, is did this uh, opening kind of put James Franklin in a tough position where there's pressure to hire the internal guy, the guy who's been helping you so much with the recruiting. And was it the case where, gee, if we don't hire him, we risk losing him? That's That's got to be part of the discussion. And I'm wondering the fact that it took a little while, do you think that was them looking other places and maybe not getting their first choice? So I don't have, this is where I got to be careful. I don't have any personal reporting on this that would be it's this is entirely speculation the timeline would suggest that right that they tried to hire a bunch of different people and their first or second choice maybe didn't work out 
Um, I think that's reasonable speculation on the timeline. And again, we're recording this before James Franklin's press conference where he'll be asked some of these questions. I doubt he'll give a ton of background details. Um, but what you saw in the social media post on Monday night was that, you know, he said Dion, uh, he interviewed for this job every day, I think is what Manny Diaz said. And James Franklin said, we're going to give a chance to our own to to prove it, but they've got to earn it. And um, according to James Franklin, it wasn't like this was a fallback option. He was a viable candidate that they chose in this situation. Now, James Franklin is the king of semantics. Um, and he will he he will fully believe in the semantics of he was one of our candidates. We hired him and it doesn't matter then whether he was the first choice or the third choice. He was a viable candidate to get the job. So they hired him. And I don't think you're going to find out was X, Y or Z the lead candidate that turned them down or anything like that. So some of that is a little bit unknowable. But I, I do think it is fair to have that conversation about it. I just don't have any specific reporting I could tell you about. And I think, T. Frank, we have to be careful that maybe there was someone else that was the first choice and unavailable. That doesn't make Dion Barnes a poor choice for the position. Yes. It just means there may have been a bigger name or just someone else that well, they let's, wanted. Let's look at it this way, too. And sorry to, to cut you off. In recruiting. You have Dion Barnes on the staff, so you have his skills and resources. You have his relationships. If you want to expand your recruiting, if you want to um, maybe shoot a little higher or get the, the new coach bump, all those things, invigorate old relationships with new people, you do that by hiring a new person. That is not a part of the narrative now. That is not a part of the conversation. So Dion Barnes has to go out and with these previously established and forged relationships with recruits in a very important cycle for the defensive line, he's got to go prove that he can land some big fish because Penn State needs defensive tackles. They need to restock at defensive end because they're so talented. They're going to lose some guys this year. Like you're not getting Chop Robinson after this year. I, I'm just going to go out on put my professional reputation on the line, and say Chop Robinson's pretty good and probably going to the NFL after this year unless he gets hurt. Um, so in, in that sense, you aren't getting like a recruiting opportunity there. And I think that would be a big consideration in this hire. And why, if there was a candidate that was ahead of Barnes, it was because he provides things on the recruiting trail that Dion just hasn't established yet, which is not, again, it, it's not a knock on Dion. It's just that he's 30. It's that he hasn't been a position coach before. He hasn't forged these deep relationships over time with recruits and with coaching staffs across a region or across the nation. So he's got to go do all of that work right now. Um, I think there's less conversation about what he's going to do with the position players because they they love him and, and we've seen his work in part with John Scott Jr. over the last couple of years. It, it, to me, this was more of a conversation about recruiting, recruiting resources, and uh, relationships there. And, you know, T. Frank, I think I risk sounding negative about the hire on my part when asking about, is he perhaps the second choice? But I'll now give the positive spin to this, and I do truly believe this, that he apparently, the players love him, and they've indicated not just that they he's likable, but he has helped them in their development. Number two, on the recruiting side, apparently he has already been a factor yeah. for those Philadelphia recruits. 
And Philadelphia is an important territory for Penn State. And the last item on that, I think you also, uh, T. Frank, when you put together a team, and it is a team of coaches, probably having a good mix of veteran guys, younger guys, guys from the outside, guys that you raise internally, it's a good mix. And I think Penn State has that. You've seen recently, you know, they went outside for those coordinator positions, but they got a Penn State guy at tight end, a fairly young guy. Yeah. They get in Dion Barnes, another Penn Stater who's done the work in the background. And as uh, James Franklin and Manny Diaz said, he's been uh, interviewing for the job for the last several years that he's been in the position that he's been in. So James Franklin has had an up-close view of his work for years now. Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, it it's not about worrying about his uh, ability to recruit, truthfully, because again, relates really well to the players. It's that does he have the internal resources, right? So it's it's about resource gathering, and by bringing in a new person, you would bring in new resources. That's to me, that's the real conversation outside of anything else. But with Dion Barnes, a, a good hire because he's proven very quickly that he has a lot of what you're looking for in, in a coach and what James Franklin wants, which is a guy that can recruit and can coach the position. So the, the, that's a, I think a huge benefit to have identified this talent already. And like I said before, James Franklin is good at identifying talent, not just f- football talent, but coaching talent, talent in his field of expertise. And if he thinks Dion Barnes is the guy, then I think you should give the benefit of the doubt to that position that that he is, that there's a great chance that he's a guy that can execute the job pretty well. You know, I, I don't want to say that he's going to be the next star defensive line coach, which name me three of them, please tell name me three star defensive line coaches. A lot of Larry recruiting. Johnson. There you go. OK, so there's one. I'm sure there's another another famous one that at least Penn State fans. But if you get to a third, I'll be impressed. So um, if he's a very good coach that can uh, help the team get talent into the room and then coach it well, then he's doing his job. And, I, you know, I, I think that's a fairly reasonable bet based on what we've heard and seen from his, his time at Penn State already. And again, flipping from the negative Nelly type to the positive spin on this is there are a lot of things to like about this. Again, He's been interviewing for the job for the last couple of years. That makes sense, the internal hire. I get your point about bringing in someone from outside who could expand, say, the recruiting footprint and all that. But you run the risk, again, of Deion Barnes moving on, going somewhere else. And I'll reiterate that recruiting territory of Philadelphia, I think, can be so important for this Penn State team. The other part to this uh, uh T. Frank, and I absolutely never get tired of these. The video where they where James Franklin announced Dion Barnes getting the position. It's yeah. like those videos where they have the player, the walk on getting the scholarship. I will never get tired of those videos. <laughs> They're fun and they, they provide what everyone wants, which is a window into the room, you know, and, and I got to I got to give James Franklin credit. He is he's a better actor than I think a lot of people would give him credit for, Um, because I 
you know, knowing it was Dion Barnes when I was watching the video, I thought Dion Barnes was outside the way he actually opened the door and like the lead up to it. And that's that is all of it, man. The cell is all of it. And uh, and those videos are powerful. Right. So they're they're I think you can dismiss them and you can't you can be like, well, you know, they're social media videos. Who cares? But like it does give you uh, a view into what they want you to believe that the program is. And every time they do those things, it, it feels like exactly what you want it to be. And, you know, just the, the professionalism of Penn state's media department and their, and their social media and all that stuff is, is really one of the best that I've seen. And you know what, how James Franklin performed there was scripted. Okay. We know that, as you said, he was a good actor, but the player's reaction is not scripted. And, it really felt authentic. As you said, it's a peek behind the curtain into the program. All right, T. Frank, that's it for quarter number one. Quarter number two, as promised, we'll start our positional review. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. And as promised, we're going to start our positional review. Just one more update on the show. After we do ask T. Frank in quarter number three, we have Jeff Brown on, and we're going to talk a little bit of Penn State hoops in quarter My number man. four. He's everybody's guy. Is there anyone <laughs> in the world who does not love Jeff Brown? All right. But first, got to hit our positional review. Where else are we going to start, T. Frank, but at quarterback? And so much is on Drew Aller's shoulders going into the 23 season. It's a very good team around him. It's going to be up to him to perform. My question to you is, what does Drew Aller need to work on to reach his ceiling? So uh, everything, you know, talking to him earlier this offseason, you know, when he was speaking with the media, 
just the number of questions about what he is working on, the, the number of questions about what he needs to do to be a good quarterback, like just sitting there, it struck me if not that I didn't know this before, but just reinforced how much the quarterback is responsible for, how much they have to do from on and off the field. They've got to be the leader in the room. They've got to be the most mature person in the program. Um, there's no time to be a kid for Drew Aller. That time is come and gone. Uh, and maybe he never was, but uh, you know, I don't necessarily know his personality and, and he seems like a very mature, thoughtful kid. Um, but he's got to be a, a, a football assassin by the time we get to September. And maybe that was his personality before. Maybe that's who he is on the field, but it's got to develop and it's got to develop fast. So if we can get into the X's and O's, we can get into the leadership part, which I'm already sick of talking about. Like I, I find leadership to be kind of like culture where everyone talks about it. It's very real. It's very important, but no one's going to define it for you. And no one's going to be able to give you concrete examples on film on the football field of where leadership or culture or fit matter. Um, and, and that's the, the issue kind of with, with these conversations about those things, but they do matter and they, they stem best from the quarterback. So he's got to do all of, all of it this off season. He's got to be all of it. And that's why last year when we were talking about drew Aller and, and saying like, don't rush this because you need time to develop some of these things. He got a great chance to see, uh, defenses. He got a great chance to see all kinds of stuff last year and see how a guy who is in his sixth year does it now. Now he's got to be the one to do it and he's got to take those lessons and apply them correctly and also make his own mistakes, learn his own uh, different nuances about football and apply those without losing. Because that's the other thing is you, you can learn a lot from losing and, and he'll learn a lot from losing in his career, but can you win, can you win and still learn? And so there's there's no end to this conversation, but there's no real final resolution in the question of what does he have to learn? Because, again, he can be good at something, but he still needs to get better at it. He's got it's it, when they say it's all of it. It really is. Um, now that we've got that soliloquy out, we can get into the details. <laughs> well, first of all, just it's easy to have a good culture when you're winning. And it's also yeah. easier to be a leader when you are good at your job. And yes. his job is being a quarterback. And, you know, what, what are your concerns for him? He's a big guy. We mm -hmm. know he's got a big arm. What are the concerns? And by the way, he's going to be tested fairly early in the season with mm -hmm. Illinois and Iowa in September games. So yeah, that Illinois defense, I'm going to be interested to see early in the season, what they are without some of the guys that are going to go in the second, first round in the NFL draft this year. Can Illinois reload? That'll be interesting to see. But for, for Aller, um, it's hard to say a lot of concrete things. One of the things I think that I saw last year was when he was not confident, when he was not sure of himself or he was rattled by pressure, whether it got there or not, he tends to not throw the ball very hard. He tends to throw the ball at the feet of his receivers. So talking about his throwing motion and, uh, you know, some of the, the background of, of what he's done since his junior season, where he was kind of a baseball thrower, kind of a linear thrower, old school football uh, passer, right? Then he worked with this quarterback coach, Brad Mandler, who he's working with currently, and he changed his throwing motion to a modern approach. So what that does is it shortens the area in which you can throw the football. It, you know, you use your hips to create torque and velocity. And that's kind of just a really basic overview of it. Instead of using your full body weight, like a pitcher, 
you uh, use your hips to create more torque and velocity. And, and then that translates through a shorter area of motion through your arm where all the power comes from, which is not your arm. It is your whole body. When he gets a little bit rattled or I feel like he's uncomfortable in the pocket, he tends to short hop those things. So the power doesn't translate perfectly. And the act, more importantly, the accuracy and the consistency of his motions don't necessarily translate all the time. So when it comes to Aller, what I would say is confidence. Confidence in your read. Even if you're wrong, throw it like you're right. Learn that mistake. And hopefully you're talented enough that when you make a mistake, you can still thread it through uh, the double coverage or, or whatever. And then it's just going to be about uh, post-snap diagnostics. Pre-snap, you're going to have the help of the coach to get you in the right position if you're looking at the sideline. And then post-snap, is it what I thought it was? And can you make those snap decisions? Can you make that analysis very quickly and then know where to go with the football? That, I think, is the encouraging thing because you've I've seen on film his post-snap work. When he's confident, it's very good. Um, and that comes down to his pocket presence as well, where he is good in the pocket at manipulating the pocket and breaking and running when he needs to. Not that he's an elite scrambler, not that he's Josh Allen, but that he is a guy that can move. Um, so just being judicious, you know, making good decisions. That's that's the number one thing for Drew Aller because he's going to have a talented room uh, you know, around him. He's going to have talented running backs. He's going to have a talented offensive line, tight ends, and the receivers have promise. So just unlocking those players ability is the job of the quarterback and that's get them the ball on time or create an environment in which they can get open by scrambling and second action plays, knowing when to do those things, having the intuition of understanding the defense and what they're trying to do and how to break it effectively enough times to create big plays and win. Um, so, you know, no big deal, nothing. And then control the huddle and make sure that when you're down in games, other players don't get rattled and get in their own head and also don't get in your own head about winning and being the leader and all those things. So, it, you know, I would say the, the on field stuff, confidence, and that comes from preparation, which I think we're all pretty confident he'll be a prepared quarterback and then uh, decision making under pressure, accuracy and uh, not getting rattled. Those those are the, the things I'm looking for. And, you know, we had this debate all year long about Drew Aller versus Sean Clifford and getting Drew Aller out there. A lot of people wanted him to be the starting quarterback as a true freshman. I think both for the team and for Drew Aller himself, having the ability to sit for a year and watch, and as you said, a guy who's been around forever and Sean Clifford knows the ropes and being able to learn from him I think that's going to be just a huge advantage for Drew Aller over some of those uh, big guy, top five-star quarterbacks who get thrown into the fire as freshmen. That doesn't always work out. But speaking of freshmen, you have now the – you do not have an experienced backup. It is Bo Perbola. He will be a redshirt freshman. He came in in the same class as Drew Aller. That has to be of some concern – and Penn State fans still have PTSD from Iowa game a couple years ago when they threw a quarterback out there who was inexperienced, yep. and we all saw what happened there. I know we haven't seen Bo Perbula on the field in a Big Ten football game, but the fact is there's a pretty decent chance he may have to see the field and win a game for this team 
from what you've seen so far, is Bo Perbola ready to go out and win a Big Ten football game, T. Frank? Uh, yes, I would say so. And it's funny. I, I think Bo Perbula is better than some people are giving him credit for because we just lump him in the Trace McSorley category because he's wearing number nine, so why not? But also, uh, you know, his his profile, winner, gritty, smart, good decision maker. Um, but the things I've seen from him in the very, very, very limited time that we've seen him on the field and also um, where he is, you know, in his skill sets is that he makes quick decisions. So he reads and reacts quickly post snap. So those things that Aller's trying to hit home runs, you know, he has the ability to throw the ball down the field and make difference making plays. Bo Prabula can make quick decisions, work within the offense, take the smart uh, play and and kind of create a winning formula. I think you can create a winning formula with him. The question then becomes, can he do some of the things that Aller does pushing the ball down the field, making those decisions and and maybe not making the um, shortstop making a good play, you know, your third baseman hitting a home run. I'm way out of, out of my depth talking about this, but that's what, you know what I'm saying? You know, being, being yeah. more than just a good player, being a sometimes great player. And and that's to my, to me, that's the question about Perbula is um, where's his arm strength in his progression? Because I believe arm, th- arm strength can improve, not, not um, case Keenum to Brett Favre, but you can get better. And uh, I think that at 6'2", 208, he's bigger than Trace McSorley. That's not a thing. That's a that's an empirical fact. So um, from a physical standpoint, he has more talent than Trace McSorley. So if we're saying he's like Trace McSorley with more talent and he hits some of those things that you do with Trace McSorley, I think he can be a great quarterback. Um, but when, you know, w- at what point? Trace McSorley, I believe, was a redshirt sophomore when he first when he started when he first started. So again, ahead of the progression, that this is the this is the fear is that he's young. That both of these guys are young, and there's a lot of unknowns. So a lot of promise, a lot of optimism. You should be optimistic, but understanding that there's a long way on this journey to to finding out whether they're good quarterbacks or not. Well, and I'll do the baseball analogy for you here, T. Frank. If you've got a lot of big boppers around you, a lot of great players, I put you out there at shortstop. I just say, make the routine play. Yes. And I think with the talent around on offense and defense on this team, for a backup quarterback, what you want him to do is make the routine play. Don't have a situation that's too big for you. And yeah. I just get the sense personality-wise that Bo Perbula would not be overwhelmed by the situation. Yeah, and by the way, you want Drew Aller making the routine play too. Like, I know that we have this expectation as a five-star quarterback with all these physical talents, but let's start with making the routine play, and then let's get to the other stuff we talked about. Obviously, the potential for great things is there, but you don't get from you don't get to great without going through good. And making those routine plays, whether either guy, you're not throwing the ball down the field 15 times a game, 20 yards. You've got five opportunities, maybe, that you're going to take. Make sure you hit a couple of them, the higher percentage of them, to make sure it's a it's a great play. Very good, T. Frank. That is it for quarter number two. Stick around. Quarter number three, we've got your questions, and we're going to ask T. Frank. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. That is means we are going to take your questions Download our app, Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button. Just hit that, submit your question, and you're on your way to winning the 409 Tailgate Barbecue Package because at the end of the segment, T. Frank will pick out a best question, and that winner will get the prize pack from 409tailgateclub.com. T. Frank, are you ready for the questions? Yep, let's get to it. All right, let's start with Steve from Painted Post, New York. His question is this. Hey, T. Frank, just listen to Jim and Dusty talk about the loss of P.J. Mustafer and what the effects of not having a replacement for him could mean. I was wondering what your thoughts would be about playing a fourth linebacker, especially against running teams like Michigan and Illinois. Looks like we may have the talent at linebacker this year, to effectively deploy this, what do you think? So I don't ever want to dismiss ideas um, and just say no, because there might be some creativity in that. There might be a good uh, concept in there. The problem with running four linebackers is it fundamentally changes what coverages you can play. So you can you can play, at that point, two coverages. If you have one safety on the football field, you can play cover three, you can play cover one. That's it. You've you've decided that you are not playing any mixed or disguised coverages unless we're air quote we're air quoting around that that is a uh, a safety that you're just going to play in the box. And a lot of teams do that anyway. That's what you're doing against those teams is you're um, you're dropping your safety into the box. You have the option to roll to one of those coverages with two safeties. But really, you you just are reserving the right to make the the offense um, respect the fact that you can. But if you if you put four linebackers and four defensive linemen out there, you are asking those teams to throw the football. And as good as Penn State is in coverage, 
part of the, what makes them good is all all of the disguising, all of the rotation, all of the problems it creates. So um, I don't think losing PJ Mustafer, adding in another linebacker is not changing that because what's happening is you're still losing that gap. There is an extra guy in the box to make up for it, but he's not playing over the middle. You know, he's he's an added player on the edge. So you're still going to get leakage in the run game because you need to be in your gap. And if the guy who is replacing PJ Mustafer, which is going to be a rotation of players, if he's not in his gap, he's just not in his gap. And that uh, adding another body only um, it, it's like taking it's like taking painkillers because you have a broken foot, but you're not actually going to go get a cast like that's not that's not fixing the problem. That is just alleviating your pain. Um, you're not good. Uh, eventually, it's not going to it's not going to work. So. I don't know that losing PJ Mustafer on the field really is the problem. You lose a veteran guy with smarts, but you're not losing a guy that was ultra productive last season. I think that there is, I'm a little more optimistic. The more I've thought about it, the more I've studied the way they played last year. I think you can be okay. And, but it's only okay. And for a team, like I've said before, you need to have answers at every position. If you want to go and win a big 10 championship, you need to have answers at defensive tackle. Somebody has to be good enough. Not that he has to be an all-star. Somebody has to be good enough, and they've got to find somebody to be that guy. I'm going to reframe the question a little bit. If they don't have that guy who's 320 pounds in the middle clogging up at the defensive tackle position, how do you compensate for that? Is it more about how you cover the gaps? What, what do you do in general as a coach if you don't have the biggest guy on the field at defensive tackle. So it's tough because there's always an answer unless you have to rely on that constantly. So um, you can slant, you can stunt, you can move your defensive line. The goal is always to beat the other team with scheme so you don't have to rely on guys just winning one-on-ones all the time. But truthfully, it has to be a it has to be a combination of both. So Manny Diaz does a lot to change where guys are in the alignment post snap again, talking about what the quarterback and the running game and everybody has to know the defensive line, a slant is when you are in one gap and then you slant to another. So you say, I'm in the B gap. I'm between, I'm between the guard and uh, the tackle. And then post snap, I'm going to run over with proper technique into the a gap. And uh, then the linebacker is going to come behind me and he's going to be in the B gap. So we're switching basically. What that requires is somebody who's athletic enough to do that, and uh, the the linebacker then has to be the timing and everything has to be perfect. So you've got all of these things that you can do that have to, that require you to be athletic in a different way and good at football in a different way. But eventually, some team is going to be able to anticipate and beat that, and you do need to line up in the a gap and be in the a gap. So that's really the problem: is the percentage of plays where they can't disguise or they've run one system too many times and now it's predictable and there's ways to gash that as well. You've got to have somebody that can just fight to be there and not move. And uh, I I think that they have enough talent where they can, they can do that adequately, but there will be times they lose and then it becomes up to the rest of the team to cover for that better offense, better coverage, shut down different areas of the game so that the other offense does not have a balanced attack. Um, and against certain teams, they're going to major in running the football and they're going to try to expose that weakness. And then you can drop your 
fourth linebacker into the box with your safety and you can play that game. But um, there's nothing you can do to overcome a lack of talent past a certain point. A team that can expose it can just expose it. Let's move on. Let's go to Jay in Lewis, Delaware, who says, love T. Frank and the beard that runneth over. (laughs) Uh, Jay asks, when uh, James Franklin interviews for a new defensive line coach, how much involvement does Manny Diaz have in the final decision? Um, These are, I, I struggle with these because these are questions that you can answer if, um, you know, if, if you're, if, if you've talked to James Franklin about these things privately, uh, and, and full disclosure, I never want to pretend to be something I'm not, I, I I'm not a, a, a guy with deep connections. I, I know a lot about football. I know a lot about these people. I know how they think, uh, based on their actions and what we've discussed and, and knowing people who know the situation, but nobody knows that. Let me just, let me just say Almost nobody knows that. If there's one thing I've learned uh, recently, it's that when choosing a new coach, James Franklin is the dude, and that's it. Other people get to have an opinion, but he's going to do what he's going to do. That's the final say. And he doesn't tell anybody what the final say is going to be until it happens. That's why all of these uh, defensive line coaches and receivers coaches and everything feel like they come out of nowhere. Like, I left my phone downstairs Monday night, and I didn't know it was coming because nobody knew it was coming exactly at that time. Uh, so I didn't know until I went to bed, felt like I missed my job that day, but, uh, that's, that's how this works. And so anyone that says they know deeply that I, I don't believe that. And I have no more connections than you do T Frank, obviously. In fact, I have less or fewer connections, but I got to imagine, uh, that Manny Diaz was the first or maybe even most important guy that James Franklin talked to about Dion Barnes because he, uh, Manny Diaz saw Dion Barnes working every day. He was on the defensive side. So it's not just Manny Diaz position as defensive coordinator, but the fact that he probably had more exposure to Dion Barnes day to day work than James Franklin did. Yeah. So, and I, I also would, I would caution a little bit against Manny Diaz having like a huge amount of say, because what's the other conversation we've had about Manny Diaz, Jim, when's he going to leave? So you've got to make a hire here that it represents the best interest long-term of Penn state, not just Manny Diaz and serving his scheme. So that's another thing to consider too, is that James Franklin is here to stay, right? Everyone else can come and go. They can get new jobs. They can get hired uh, other places, but James Franklin is going to build the best staff for him and to build around him because he's the, he's the central figure, him and the support staff. Everyone else is going to go on to a new job. Eventually it, it will happen, but I'll tell you what, James Franklin has entrusted Manny Diaz to be the defensive, the king of the defense. It's his defense. I, I think uh, uh, James Franklin will trust him. All right, let's um, go to Walt in Fairfax, Virginia, who says, how tough is it to change from one side of the offensive line to the other? Yes, I'm thinking about Drew Shelton. It isn't tough if you practice it. Nothing is tough unless you practice if you practice it. So Drew Shelton has had plenty of time and James Franklin's um, whole ethos about the offensive line is versatility. Like we want to have guys that can play everywhere in the line. They're not just pigeonholed into one position. So Drew Shelton has practiced at a bunch of different positions. Initially, I thought he was going to play right tackle because that's where he was practicing. 
but he played his whole career at left in high school. So they were training him at right so that he could play either position. It should not be a huge problem for Drew Shelton. The longer you go and the better you get and the more you specialize, the harder it is. But it is not impossible, even in the NFL, to change if you have the proper time, background, and all those other things. So uh, give you a couple examples. Sorry to do this again. Uh, Ryan Bates has played left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard, and center for the Bills. Actually, yeah, he's played all five positions because at Penn State, he played all basically all five positions and, and cross-trained. So he has that versatility built into his bag. The problem is he hasn't really found a starting home to specialize in until recently where now he's the right guard. But again, you've got guys that can make that switch. But if you've only ever played left tackle because you're that good and then later in your career, they somebody tells you, hey, you're not fast enough to play left anymore. We're moving you to right. That's when it takes a special athlete to be able to retrain 10 years into your career. But right now, these guys should be able to cross train, learn and develop because none of them are experts yet. None of them have been doing this long enough that they should have this mental barrier of existing knowledge that they have to break through. You make a good point. They have been talking all along about uh, cross training these guys and even the new the freshmen coming in. They've talked about them starting at tackle and maybe ending up at guard. All right, T. Frank, we've got a guest coming on in quarter four. That means we've got to name our winner now. Who do you have? Uh, so, full disclosure, I didn't write everybody's name down. The last question was from whom? The last question was Walt. The middle question Walt. was from Jay. And the first Walt. question was Steve. Well, we're going with Walt. I like that question about cross-training because I think it's very important and it is a little bit misunderstood. Based on the professionals, like the experts, uh, you know, linemen will tell you how how hard it is. But if you're, you know, at this point, I think it's a little different. So I like that question. Very good. Walt, we'll be getting in touch with you about your prize pack. And, of course, I got to tell you, you got to stick around. The excitement of Penn State basketball. T. Frank, they're actually in the tournament. It's been a long time. And who better to talk to about it than Jeff Brown voice of the Penn State Nittany Lion basketball team. He's going to be with me in quarter number four. Stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. 
truststatecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante and we welcome in our Really good friend, Jeff Brown, to talk some Penn State hoops. Jeff, it's great to have you on again, my friend. It's been a long time. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. It's been way too long. See, I was just waiting for this team to make the tournament. Yeah. I had to wait a couple years for that. I understand that, but that's all right. It was well worth the wait, so now we're here, and Texas A&M is in big trouble. They are. Let's enjoy it. Let's let's start with this. Just a quick look back at this team this season, Jeff. I can't tell you how many times I gave up on them, okay? And I'm the the Fairweather fan, maybe not quite like you. I mean, what did they do? They lost like four or five in a row in early February. They, They lose that big lead against Rutgers. I figured that is it. It's the end. Yeah. Even when this team was down against Purdue, they managed to make a game of it, and they were right there at the very end. They do not stop fighting ever, do they? No, they don't. And, of course, that's right a direct reflection of Michael Shrewsbury. But now, see, unlike you, at the beginning of the season, I said this is a tournament team. And I stuck with it all year. I, I kind of wavered the Rutgers game, kind of made me a little crazy there, i got to admit, like any other fan. but. I I always thought they had it in them. I just thought, ew, they're going to have to really go deep into the Big Tens in order to get to the tournament. But I always thought they'd be there. I don't know why. I, I can't give you a, a definitive reason, but I just always had the feeling about this team that they were going to do something special this year. All season, the Big Ten was a crazy conference. Oh, yeah. And I found it interesting at the end of the year, if you look at the standings at the end of the regular season, Purdue was there several games ahead of everybody. But from second place to 11th place, yeah. it was about you either had eight losses, nine losses, or 10 losses. And that was about you're describing about eight different teams in the conference. It was easy to leapfrog just to get on a, a hot streak. And, and Penn State showed this that you get on a streak and all of a sudden you go from nowhere to somewhere. Well, let's talk about then this seeding. I found it interesting and wanted to get your take on it, Jeff. Comparing themselves to the other Big Ten teams, I thought what they did in the Big Ten Conference Tournament should have jumped them up in the pecking order. And I, agree. I went and looked, just checking into it. Maryland seeded eighth, Michigan State seventh, Iowa eighth, Illinois ninth, and of course, Northwestern seventh. And Penn State's got a number 10 seed. Penn State's the only one of that group that won three games in the tournament, got Mm -hmm. to the conference championship games, and I think their 22 wins overall is more than any of those teams. And let's let's take it, let's narrow it down to Illinois. You beat Illinois three times this year, yet they've got a higher seeding than you do? How does that work? I, I don't understand it. I was hoping you would explain it to me. <laughs> I would like to, except I, and, and I'm going to sound like I've got my blue and white tinfoil hat on, 
but I just think it's a, a thing of they have rarely been there before. Penn State's not a basketball school, yada, 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 yada. Easy to overlook them. I mean, you know, Illinois, Maryland, uh, teams like that, you say, okay, they've been there before. They're you know, more experienced as far as the NCAA tournament is concerned. You're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's the only way I can explain it is Penn State's a newcomer, and maybe some people look at them as a fluke. Well, I think you and I know better having watched this team. Oh, and yeah. We chatting just a little bit uh, prior to starting recording. And I'll tell you what, if I'm another team in this tournament, I don't want to see Penn State play. No. It, it's such a unique set of skills that they have. With Jalen Pickett, your point guard is your post presence. Mm-hmm. You surround him with four sharpshooters. That's t- going to be tough for people to cover, isn't it? It is. When you, when you get Pickett going down low and then he can dish, and, and I think we saw this the last three or four games of the year where he was not putting up big point totals, but he was getting great assist totals. And if Penn State can hit, and that's a huge if, you live by the three, you die by the three. But if Penn State can hit from the outside, then you've got Pickett, and, and and he is is driving to the hoop, and he's collapsing the defense and then kicking it back out to somebody who can nail a three. Now, if you stay with those guys, then Pickett all of a sudden has, pardon the pun, easy pickings as far as, as short jumper, short turnaround fadeaways uh, for two points. So it is. It's very, very difficult to, to guard Penn State. My concern is always... When we saw it with Purdue, we saw it three times with Purdue. They have the presence of a big man in the middle. Right. And that hurts Penn State both both ends of the court. Penn yeah. State doesn't have the big guy to stop someone like Zach Eady. And on the other end of the court, you just Zach Eady's presence affects Jalen Pickett. Yeah. Does Texas AM have anything like that on their team? No, from what I understand, they do not have a dominant big man. Let's put it that way. And the only other thing I really know about them right now is they're not sharpshooters. So, you know, it, it, they like to grind it out and, and they play great defense and they try to keep the other team from scoring. But Penn State's not going to have to worry about a Zach Eady uh, in the first round game. What they've got to worry about is the ability to shoot. And I think you saw in um, probably the Northwestern game and the Purdue game, their legs were starting to go. They were leaving a lot of shots at the front end of the rim. Um, you know, they were on target, but they were short. And so they're going to have time now to rest and get those legs back underneath them. But if they would go any length into the tournament, all of a sudden you got to start worrying about that again because that's what their offense is predicated on, is shooting three-pointers. Michael Micah Shrewsbury has said all year long that he'd rather go for the threes than the twos. And that's a great, great strategy when it works. But when they're not falling, whew, you're in trouble. But it's also a great strategy when you have people like Andrew Funk and Seth mm-hmm. Lundy. And even if they aren't hitting for a while... Boy, it doesn't take long. They heat up <laughs> one of them, and next thing you know, there's three or four threes in a row, and they just made up nine points. 
and you throw in Miles Dredd and Cameron Winter, who really doesn't do a lot of, of three-point shooting, but he does a lot of mid-range, and he's deadly from mid-range. He's been deadly the last three or four games. So it's it's a great combination, and like we said before, very, very difficult to defend against. Um, you just have to be able to make Texas A&M respect the threes. And I'll tell you what I saw too, Jeff, and I wanted to get your take on this. Some of the freshmen, you know, you have Kevin Jai who just gives you a presence inside. Right. Between him and Michael Hen, okay, there's 10 fouls you have to give. <laughs> but the rest of the crew, we talked about it earlier. It's Pickett backing someone down. It's the sharpshooters around. But I thought Kanye Cleary, Clary added a new dimension to this team late in the season. Oh, he is so fast. I mean, just he's so quick. Nobody can keep up with him. And it's it's nice because he again, you put him in the ball game and all of a sudden he loosens up that defense a little bit. They can't just lay back. They can't collapse on Jalen. Uh, you know, if you've got Clary handling the ball, he's he forces um the other team to respect his speed. And the kid's fearless. I mean, I can't wait to see him next year now that he's got a whole season of Big Ten experience under his belt. He's really going to be fun to watch the next three. And, and, and Evan Mahaffey and, you know, Calvin Booth's kid who's coming in. I think Penn State's got some success in the future as well. This won't be their last NCAAs in a while. So is Seth Lundy coming back next year, Jeff? Great question. That is a great question. Um, you know, I was just talking to somebody and they said, you know, the way he played in the Big Ten tournament, so you know, if, if not a pro team, a European team may throw some bucks at him um, to play. So I don't know, but he may go the Jalen Pickett route. Everybody was surprised when Jalen Pickett decided to stick around. And maybe Seth Lundy looks at, at what happened with Jalen and says, wouldn't be a bad idea for me to be here either. So wouldn't that be great? Just Oh, my goodness. How about, hey, Seth, we'll build the offense around you next year. But speaking of which, uh, as long as I'm asking about coming back next year, is Micah Shrewsbury going to be the one (laughs) lobbying (laughs) Seth Lundy to come back? Or is he going to be out in South Bend or at Georgetown? Or at Georgetown. From what I hear, Georgetown's going to throw a lot of money at him. Um, I would like to say that he's going to be here. I, I would like to say he has kind of fallen in love with the place and the program and the, and the kids and that. Um, and uh, Pat Kraft has said he's going to do whatever it takes to keep Michael Shrewsbury at Penn State. So I'm, I'm going to rely on Pat Kraft and say, okay, I'm, it's, if you say you're going to keep him here, keep him here because there's no, 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 no diminishing what he has done and the impact he's had. And I believe in this last three or four weeks, I just in talking to my fellow Penn Staters, I've heard Penn State basketball talk for the first time ever from some of these folks, yeah. which, which is great to hear. So let's talk about it going forward, Jeff. What can we expect from this team in the tournament? Give me your prediction. How far are we going to see this team go? Oh, I, you know, I, I love these guys to death. I just don't think they can get any farther than the Sweet 16, but I do think they'll get there. I, I, I will make them a Sweet 16 team this year, but I, I don't think they can get past that. Oh, my goodness. You heard it here first. Remember, 
<laughs> when Penn State starts hitting that sweet 16, yeah. Jeff Brown called that. But you know what, Jeff? I, I'm not going to go as far as you and predict sweet 16, but why not? I yeah. can see them. I'm not scared of very many teams in this tournament. You know, It was obvious Purdue was the better team than Penn State throughout the season. But was there another team in the Big Ten that you really thought was better than Penn State? No, no, not at all. And this team plays defense and offense. So they're scary. But I will throw one little fun fact at you, Jimby, before we go. Only four points were scored yesterday by guys we know are coming back next season. That we know are coming back. Yeah. All right, Jeff. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we got to wrap it up. I'll tell you what. Whether they make the Sweet 16 or not, how about we do this again next week and wrap up that first weekend at the tournament? Let's do it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being on. And thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.